0: because that really is our first line of defense. Hello, everyone. I cannot believe it's this time of year again heading back to school. So whether your child is starting a preschool, they're going back to preschool or any other back to school, even a daycare type program, this episode is for you because we're going to talk about all things back to school, including things like separation anxiety, getting kids prepared for daily schedule changes, and just getting organized and ready for the changes parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home home threads love where you live. Say goodbye I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. So first, separation anxiety is a fairly common phenomenon in the toddler and preschool years, ages two to four. But it's also not uncommon to see it in the first few days of school for five, six, and even for some kids of seven years old. So if you have a six or seven-year-old who struggles to say goodbye the first few weeks of school, know that this is normal for some kids and it's nothing to worry about. If it persists past the first few weeks, gets more intense, then it's time to find some additional help and work on managing the anxiety. So separation anxiety is most likely to happen in response to the start of a new school year. Or if you've gone on a break and come back, if you think about it, it's a lot of changes all at once. It's a change in caregivers. It's a change of their daily setting. It's a change in their peers who they're hanging out with day to day in most cases, in daily activities and schedules all of these changes at once. So here are some things that we can do to minimize separation anxiety. We wanna create a goodbye ritual. This can be really helpful. A ritual helps a child relax and transition in saying goodbye to the parent and moving into the school day. We wanna keep the actual goodbye short and sweet. So this could be something like a hug, a wave, and then a goodbye. The main guideline we wanna follow is We don't say goodbye until we mean it, and when we do say it, then we need to go. Goodbye means goodbye, so we can't say goodbye and then linger and say, oh, I love you, another hug, another kiss, okay, goodbye, I love you. Say goodbye and move on. Goodbyes are important, and moving through the feelings helps a child build a sense of trust in the process. It's also really important to never sneak out. So, you don't wanna go and see your child playing quietly and then sneak out. This will just increase the anxiety for the next time because they turn around to look for you and you're not there. Then they will become more attached and more insecure. So, we wanna always say the goodbye ritual, even if it's difficult, so we can help them move through the difficult feelings of goodbye and move on to being okay. It's also helpful to lead by example. So, we wanna do this by keeping an upbeat attitude and expression through the process of separating. Our words, our tone, and the look that we give will influence our children. So we want those to reassure the child that school is a great and fun place and that you are feeling entirely confident in leaving them here and that they're going to have a good time. If your child tends to get anxious about changes or new people, one of the great ways to minimize separation anxiety is trying to be one of the first families to arrive. This way, your child can acclimate slowly to the new environment and the new faces as they trickle in, rather than showing up to a room full of 23 other kids, all engaged in various activities and levels of noise that can be a lot to take in and can feel very overwhelming for kids who are quieter and more reserved. Also, it can be helpful to send your child with a small soft toy or other object from home not their most loved bedtime lovey. Something that they like and that is from home, but nothing that is so important that if it got lost, that they would be devastated. Now, in psychology, we call this a transitional object. It allows kids to bridge the comfort of home to their school or their daycare or any other outing that they're doing. Now, teachers will often let them have this as they need it for the first few weeks. And then gradually, they may encourage the child to have the toy stay in their bin or their bag, and eventually maybe you stay in the car or at home. Now at home, it can be helpful to look at the classroom online. So if the school has pictures, you can look at it online, you can talk about their teachers, you can talk about the friends and the classroom and the activities. It also can be helpful if this is possible to have a few play dates with some classmates. So if they're going into a new classroom, into a new school, and you know who some of their classmates are, you happen to have contact, it would be great to reach out and have play dates so that they have some familiar faces the first few days of school. I know this isn't always possible, but in some areas or some small towns, and parents chat and say, oh, we have that teacher too. you um, You may actually know of some kids in that class. So if you're able to do that, that is a great way to start to bridge that transition from being home to going to school. It's also helpful sometimes to drive by the school or even stop and park and walk around the school to take a look at the playground, to take a look at the, the school, the way it's laid out. A lot of times you can't actually go in because there's there's fences surrounding it. But if you can just walk around and help familiarize them with the school as much as possible. Obviously, if they have like a back to school night or some kind of orientation, take advantage of any one of those that they have. If they have a meet the teacher night, if they have the come meet your, your classmates night, Any of those, you want to take advantage of those. You want to take your child and have them get acclimated slowly while you're actually there on the property with them. And they're going to be a lot more likely to run off and play and meet new friends. And then they're already going to have some level of comfort. So take advantage of any of those. It also can be helpful to read books about separation anxiety. These are some really great ones. One of my favorite books is called The Kissing Hand. You you maybe have heard of it. It is the sweetest, loveliest book. And it's such a great story. So The Kissing Hand, When I Miss You, Llama Llama, Mrs. Mama, Will You Come Back for Me? Owl Babies, that's a great book too. I love that one, Owl Babies. My kids used to have me read that over and over. Another great book, The Invisible String. These are just some great books to read about separation anxiety. Okay, second area I'm going to cover is Getting Ready for the Shift. So it's super common to get on a different schedule during the summer, staying up late, sleeping in, eating schedules may shift, get completely off, snacking all day, eating meals at completely different times, later breakfast, grazing throughout the day. You get the idea. If this is the case in your home, it's time to start shifting back about two weeks before school starts, and it'll make those first few days and weeks of school a lot less stressful for everyone. So you're going to start moving into specific wake-up times and meal times when it gets to school. So you want to start making the shift. Will you have to pack lunches or snacks for school? If so, this can actually be a fun part of getting ready. For the kids, you can take them to the store, let them pick out their food for their snacks, their lunch ingredients, so they can make their lunches that they like. Think through anything they might need for school. Water bottles, lunchbox. My twins actually changed to a bento box style lunch boxes last school year. They thought this was really fun. My daughter especially loves these more snacky type lunches, a charcuterie type lunch with nuts, fruits, olives, cheeses, and meats, crackers. That's what she really likes. And then her twin brother switched over as well, and they found this to be really fun. Do they need a new bag or a backpack, school shoes, jackets for fall as it gets cooler in the mornings? Start thinking about these areas where you want to start getting ready so that you have it all ready to go and you don't have to think about it in the middle of the school year or partway into the school year and then have to go out and get it. If you have elementary aged kids or older, school supply lists from your kid's teacher and a good homework station set up. It can be a dedicated workstation, but it doesn't have to be. There are three main considerations when creating a good homework habits. And the first one is your homework space. Where are they gonna do their homework regularly? The space should be relatively quiet, so we don't want TV on in the background. We want it to be well lit. The room with all needed supplies, which is where the school supply list comes in. There might be uh, stuff they use at school, but then stuff that they also may want to use at home for homework as well. Some good places for homework areas are dedicated space in the family room or in the kitchen if you have a little homework area. Or it doesn't have to be a dedicated space at the kitchen table or the dining room table. These are great areas to do it. And then you have just kind of a caddy or something that you have all the supplies in that you bring out when it's time to do homework. One of the areas we don't recommend is the bedroom for two reasons. For one, the bedroom should be a place where it should be relaxing and where they can calm down for bed and for sleep. So if they're doing homework in that same space, it can make it harder for their brain to quiet down for bedtime. The other reason is if they're doing any kind of work on a computer, we always want it to be in view of an adult in the room. Now, I know these days with phones, tablets, and laptops, it's near to impossible to be over the shoulder during screen time all the time. So this has changed a lot in recent years, but it's just something to keep in mind. And because it's such a deep topic, I could cover like two to three episodes on different ways to manage this. But I'm just going to share what I've done in our house. I'm not super strict, but my kids are also older now. I was really strict when they were younger about always being in view. But I do keep some level of control over their tablets, phones, and computer through the software on the tablet and the phone. Keep the age restrictions. I also have access to their phones, full access, because I have the password to their phones and their tablets. Also, they know that I have access to their phones and tablets. I rarely check but it's important if you do have full access to your children's electronics, that they do know that you have access to their electronics. This is just a form of trust, right? We don't want to be going on and kind of sneaking around on them, looking up stuff if they don't know. We want them to know that we have access and, and then how much we use it from there is up to us. But there's also controls you can use on your router and on your software. So there's a lot of different ways to create parental controls and Kids have a way of getting around them. It's definitely something you want to check early and often and um, and to just check in on your children's electronics every so often just to make sure that they're staying safe online and looking over the shoulder, of course, every so often to make sure that they're staying safe online. But most importantly, it's building that relationship with your kids that help them to build those critical thinking skills and emotional intelligence skills. So my children are extremely likely to come to me about everything and anything. They're very, very open with me about so many things. So whenever they've encountered anything uncomfortable, whether it's in person at school or online, they've always come to me. So building that relationship through the positive discipline, the gentle parenting background is really going to serve you extremely well all throughout their childhood. Because that really is our first line of defense the other thing is, I didn't get my kids' phones until they were in seventh grade. I really wanted them to be at least into middle school by the time they got their own cell phones. So this was something we waited quite a bit later to do for them. Once they started like walking home or walking part way home and I needed to know where to pick them up or they were out with friends, this is once this is when I got them their own cell phones. And then we've also had lots and lots of talks about, you know, staying safe online, bullying online. And all the different ways that kids can get in trouble online, all the different ways that people can reach out to them and try to entice them online. And so they were very, very well educated about this. And I can ask them any question and they know exactly like how to answer and what is would be considered dangerous and not to give out their information and all of those kinds of things. Okay, so the second consideration we're talking about homework is time, not just how much time they need, but what is the best time to work on homework? So I'm going to cover this and the third consideration for homework, as well as some information for parents of younger kids who are going into preschool or returning to preschool to make the most of those early learning experiences, right after a word from our sponsors. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Now that we're back for homework, honestly, so studies have shown that homework during elementary school is actually not beneficial, that kids need that time to play and decompress and physical activity, and that this actually adds to their development much more than doing homework does. So we've been seeing a trend of schools dropping and are really lessening the homework load in elementary schools, which I love to see, but there are still schools that do expect homework. So if your child's school does still expect homework, I'm going to talk about the guidelines for that. If your child's school has done away with homework in elementary school, know that this is a positive thing. This is a very, very positive thing for your child's development. So because study after study has shown that homework during elementary school years does not improve learning outcomes. And it actually tends to have a negative effect because it's taking away from the time that they need to decompress, the time that they need to actually take what they learned in school. And while they're playing, it actually helps that to get absorbed into their mind when they're relaxed and playing with their friends, running around, doing physical activity. So we're also, before the break, I was discussing the element of time as it relates to homework. So I'm going to talk about both pieces of time how much time they should spend on homework and then the time of day that, that they can work on their homework that's most beneficial. Well, If your elementary child, school child does have homework, it should only be review of what was covered at school. So things like reviewing spelling words, a short math assignment on a concept they already covered in school just to help reiterate it. For time guidelines, no more than five to ten minutes a day per grade. Again, no homework in elementary is recommended, but if they do get homework, then first grade would be something like five to 10 minutes a night tops. Second grade, 10 to 20 minutes at the most. We wouldn't expect to see the max every night. You don't want to see 20 minutes every single night or by the time they're in fifth grade, 50 minutes every single night. And this, we're talking Monday through Thursday, right? Monday, um, not the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it'll only be four nights a week. Don't want to see that every single night. That's a lot of homework. So hopefully they're not getting that much if they are getting homework. You might see like 30 minutes one night, 50 minutes a couple of nights, 10 minutes another night. But if there's a big project coming up, then we might see the longer 50 minutes a night for several nights in a row as they get prepared and for that project. And then you'll see the level of homework drop back down after that. So I give these guidelines so parents can be on the lookout for stress and burnout. If your kids are getting pushed to the max or over every single night, and especially more than four nights a week, if they're stressed out, if they feel like they don't have time to get their work done, if they're just stressed because they don't have enough downtime to go do the things they like to do, to play with their friends and homework is just taking over, this is so that you can advocate for them and go to the school and kind of talk about how can we pull this level of homework back because this is really stressing out my child. I don't feel like it's good for their learning, for their cognitive development. How can we pull this back? The other thing with homework, especially in the early elementary school years, early mid-elementary school years, is it should not be a new concept. It should only be reiterating things that they learned during the school day, which I think I already mentioned, but I just want to reiterate that. So I have a class on homework. It's called Making Homework Work, and I go into really deeper details about all of these processes, how we can hand off homework to our kids over the years so that they start to take over. By the time they're in fourth or fifth grade, they should be almost completely responsible for their homework process, for planning, for studying. So there's a way that we hand that off to them as they age. And then all of the, you know, the guidelines that I talked about, but I talk about those in a little bit deeper level. And then also how do we navigate these instances where kids say, I don't have any homework, but you know their school gives homework and they say they don't have homework. How do we navigate that? So I talk about that, homework battles, all of those kinds of things I cover in that class. Making homework work on the website at yourvillageonline.com if you need some deeper guidance on this homework part of parenting. Okay, the other time aspect of homework is when should a child do their homework? So this is where choices comes in really nicely. When we give our kids a choice about when to do homework, it gives them more control over their homework process if they get to decide when they want to do it. Now, within reasonable parameters, of course. So most kids will need a break after school. Most kids will not come home and sit down and just pound out their homework the moment they get home from school. There are some kids who will do this, though. So if you do have a child who just comes home and wants to just get through it right when they get home, that's fine, too. That would be my oldest. We went to mostly schools that didn't have homework, but there were times in their lives where they did have schools that had homework. And that was him. He would come home and he'd just want to get it done the moment he got home so that he could just enjoy the rest of his day. Most kids will need at least a snack, a little bit of downtime before they head into their homework. Other kids, if they really struggle with getting it done, it's really good to have natural positive consequence for getting the homework done. Meaning as soon as you're done with your homework, you can go out and play with your friends. As soon as you're done with your homework, you can go out and shoot some hoops, that kind of thing. If they struggle to get it done. So you can give them that... Break after school, that 20-minute break with a snack, maybe a little bit of downtime. But if there's something they particularly love to do, hold that off until the homework is done. If, only if, getting the homework done is a struggle or it's a battle to get them to sit down and do it. Other kids will want to wait till after dinner. Perfectly fine too. I wouldn't go any later than that. Once dinner is over, then it needs to be homework time. If the homework time hasn't come up earlier in the day. If they don't want to do it right after school, if they want to go out and play with their friends and run around, Till dinner time, great. We have dinner time. Once dinner time is over, then it's homework time because we don't want it pushing into bedtime. Okay, the third important aspect is good organization. This means we want it to be well supplied area. So we talked about lighting, we talked about quiet, but we also want it well supplied and organized. So when we talk about well supplied, depending on the age, but these are going to be relatively common for every age. We're talking about dictionary, markers, crayons, pencils, paper. A pencil sharpener, erasers, maybe a calculator for older kids, a compass, a computer for older kids, those types of things. So, all the things that they will need to get through their daily homework in this space so that it's all available and they don't have to go searching for it in the middle of looking, in the middle of working on their homework. Once a week, we might want to organize and clean out the backpack. Part of this is them learning organization and their time management skills, but then we can keep things organized. Then we're looking and we're finding like, oh, here's that assignment you forgot to turn in. So it's not too late. We want to make sure we're getting in there and cleaning it out and getting them into really good habits for staying organized in their backpack as well. Also a homework notebook. Some schools actually require this, but a homework notebook that goes back and forth from home to school. So the kids will write in what their homework is in the notebook. It comes home. The parent can look and see what the homework is, sign off on it. It goes back to school the next day, and then the child will write the next homework assignment and comes home. Parent knows exactly what homework has been assigned in every subject. So it just goes back and forth. That is a great tool. Okay. The other thing we can help our kids with is if they have more than one subject. So let's say they have homework in two or three subjects in these earlier years, second, third grade, even into fourth grade, we can help them organize which subject were are they going to start with? What are they going to finish with? Are they starting with the one that has the least amount of time, the one that's the easiest for them? Maybe they want to start with the one that's the hardest for them and get that out of the way. We're going to help them organize how they want to work their way through their homework. Okay, so now I want to talk about a few quick tips on preschool, what kids should be learning and how to support this either through an early childhood education program, or working with them at home, or both. Now, my kids went to school three mornings a week the first year they were in preschool. So I did a lot of activities, and I supplemented their learning at home with some of these activities I'm going to talk about in just a minute. So in these early preschool years, toddler preschool years, what we are really, really focused on is social-emotional learning. We are focused on our children Learning to recognize their emotions, learning to work with their emotions, learning to share their emotions in appropriate ways, learning how to talk with their friends through negotiation, through turn-taking, compromise, problem-solving. These are all really, really important skills that absolutely should not be overlooked. Um, We are not focusing on academics and early childhood education. There is some academics, and it's absolutely great. It's done through play, through fun ways. But what they're really working on are these social emotional skills. And they're working on those through play because those are absolutely paramount for their success, not just in elementary school, but in life. So when you see schools doing a lot of play-based learning, that is an absolute positive sign. And then they'll also do a lot of fun ways of learning these academic concepts, but not doing them in academic ways. By academic ways, we mean sitting down, memorizing, reading, writing that type of thing, lectures. This is what we're not doing in these early years. So what we're doing instead is we can work on these early reading and writing skills and these early math and science skills, things like vocabulary. So when we read books or when we talk to our kids or when we take our kids on an outing and we talk about the beach or we talk about the park or we talk about the museum, we are building a vocabulary. This is part of their early literacy skills. We are working on the pre-skills for them to be able to do writing. So anything that is small motor, so anything when they're building, they're playing with cars, they're building with Legos, they're drawing with crayons. These are all parts of fine motor development, which helps them to be ready to write with a pencil once they get into elementary school. We're also working on things that this is both for writing and for math. It's one-to-one correspondence. So. When they're just learning to count items, this is both well for reading and writing and for math because each letter has a sound, right? Each number represents a quantity. So they're learning one to one correspondence. So when they learn this, this is actually the foundation for all kinds of academics. So we're working on things like letter knowledge, and there's so many fun ways that they'll do this in preschool. They will put the like a few letters out, and the kids have to you know find the letter a and jump on the letter a and hop on one foot when they see letter b and and there's just fun ways that they can do this in preschool and preschool teachers early education teachers are so great at finding really unique and fun ways to get kids involved finding a letter and running over and sitting on it or finding the letter that your name starts with and sitting on that or going and getting that letter and bringing it back things like this it's playing games but they're still learning reading aloud which is they're great about, obviously, in early education programs. There is almost nothing better we can do with our kids, whether it's in a preschool program or at home, reading aloud every day. There are so many areas that they're learning. They're learning creativity. They're learning a social emotional a lot of times in the stories because the characters may have a problem they need to solve together. Um, they're learning the vocabulary because every story is going to add some vocabulary. And then there's so much to math. I'm going to just quickly go through a little bit of the math stuff, but I have a class on. I have two classes, early reading and writing and early math and science, that are ways that you can help your child develop these skills at home outside of the preschool world. I also have a class called Finding a Preschool, which talks about all the different types of preschools or the different philosophies and the different ways that they will teach at each of these types of preschools so that you can understand the different ways that they engage kids in the learning So, that you can have an idea of what it means when you see Montessori versus Reggio versus High Scope versus Waldorf schools. And some of these will be a hybrid, and then you'll know what that means and you can decide what you like, what resonates with you as a family, and which type of school you feel like would be the best fit for your individual child as well. But go over a little bit of the math. There are four areas of math that we can build into play and activities. So, that's numbers and counting. So, things like counting out the cars or counting out the beads position so this we use with language a lot but it also spills over into math so things like inside outside under over near far above below in front of behind so you can hide toys and give clues to finding them using that type of language or you can play simon says or follow the leader also measurement you'll see a lot of measurement used in in uh montessori schools they love to use this this is talking about how big or small short or tall heavy or light things are and then like i said in montessori schools kids do a lot of measuring so they get to do a lot of comparison and measuring and and that spatial thinking also doing sequencing big bigger or biggest and then we talk about amount a little bit a lot more than less than If you want to know more about ways you can support your child's education, starting with preschool, I have the early math and science, early reading and writing, finding a preschool. Also the class you're developing toddler and you're developing preschooler also goes into all the areas of developing fine motor skill, gross motor skill, cognitive, social emotional learning as well. So that's a great class. If you have older kids and you want to know more about supporting their education, I have classes making homework work learning styles, and multiple intelligence theory. And of course, all the positive discipline classes, over 60 classes on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.